0: Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Y'all, I might lose my voice during this after they singing that song with you. Um, I do love uh, getting to sing on a weekly basis um, with you all. I think it is one of my favorite things about not only getting to work here at Christ Church, but also just being a part of the church in general. Um, And it's funny because if you have been here the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about worship. Uh, we've been talking about what worship is, what worship means, um, what it means to worship in seasons of doubt or moments of temptation. And tonight, as I was preparing to talk about what it means to worship in victory, um, I began to just kind of just see more and more as I was thinking and studying and, and trying to pray about it and talk about it with people, um, that, that oftentimes, I think as humans, but especially as in, in the Bible, Oftentimes victory is in some way associated with, with singing. Um, and I think if you look around, like in, in the world that you and I live in, we'll see that that is true. And actually one thing that I thought of as we were getting into like the Thanksgiving Christmas season, uh, I began to just think about like my favorite Christmas movies because I, I mean, I like Christmas for a lot of reasons. Obviously Jesus coming down and changing the very fabric of reality and eternity, spending time with my friends and family, third solid reason, Christmas movies. Uh, and i you know, we probably have a lot of the same ones, Home Alone, Elf, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the animated one, which is old and weird, but I like it. Uh, but I, I think my favorite one, is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Has anybody seen that movie or have you heard of it? Um, I think we have a picture of like the scene that I want to talk about. Maybe. Uh, There it is. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's from 1946, as you can tell. I didn't just go on the Visco Camera and make that black and white. Um, is that how you say it, VSEO? I don't care. Uh, We—it's from 1946, um, and it centers around a guy named George Bailey. And long story short, George Bailey, um, his life does not pan out in the way that he would like it would have liked it to. Uh, and near the end of the movie, uh, has a financial crisis where he becomes bankrupt. Not really his fault but still his responsibility to deal with, and everything kind of begins to fall apart. He's freaking out, and so he kind of has this moment of, like, crisis where he's like, I just wish that I had never been born. It would have been easier to avoid all of this, and because of Christmas movie magic, that happens. He is suddenly not born, but he's able to observe what his community, what his, what people, like, his loved one's lives would have been like had he never been born, right? Long story short, every, it's all worse. No, no one's life really got better except the people that you're not really rooting for in the movie. Generally, it was all worse for everybody. Like the people that he helped, they never got help. The people that he saved from drowning weren't saved from drowning, and so they died. And it's shocking and sad for him. And so then all of a sudden, he's very grateful because he's like, wow, I, have, I do have this great life. And so he wishes that he could have it back. And suddenly he does because of Christmas movie magic. But he still has to deal with this bankruptcy problem because that doesn't go away, Right. And so he goes back to his house and he's talking to his wife and his kids. He's like, I love you guys so much, but I'm about to get arrested because I owe them to make some money. And they have like a warrant out for my arrest and this is not good. And then what he doesn't know, though, is the last several you know, hours or minutes that he was in a different reality, I guess, his community has been rallying together to give him money. So he's at his house, and then all of a sudden, the people that he loves, the people that he's helped, begin to show up in droves with uh, cash and checks and coins and jewelry, whatever they can do to help uh, George get out of this hole of debt that he has found himself in. And it's this wonderful, beautiful, amazing scene. You can see it there. They're just like making this pile of money, and it's awesome. It's so fun. His brother uh, shows, just shows up from war, and it's great. And then, like, his, like, like old neighbors and friends. And, and it's just this wonderful, beautiful thing. And they're rallying together. And the movie ends with this scene, with all of these people that saw George's defeat and refused to let that be the end of the story. And so, so it's just this awesome scene. And then everyone just starts singing. And I think it's kind of one of those things where it's, like, cliche, movie. But, but also, I think it is kind of natural. Like, I, I, we watch that, that scene, and all of a sudden, you're like, that makes sense. Because I think there's something intrinsically in us as humans that we associate victory with singing. And and I think that that's true because we can see that in the world around us, right? Like like you look um, at like high schools and colleges and professional sports teams, right? And they have these like fight songs that they sing to like inspire or celebrate victory, right? Or we as people, like we love um, to like play a song as loud as we can. Or sing at the top of our lungs to like manifest victory in a certain situation, like I will survive, and you're like I will survive, and you're just fighting, and you're like I will be victorious, right? Or like in history, right? Like for centuries, armies have either on the way to battle or the way from battle, they've sung songs either hoping hoping for victory or celebrating victory as they you know as they were on their way to or from battle, right? And there's something resilient about singing right? this The idea that in the face of whatever, uh, whatever, in the face of defeat, right, to choose to lift up this song of victory, to lift up a song of hope, despite what you just faced or despite what you're about to face. And this is certainly true in scripture, right? We look all, all throughout scripture, this is the case, right? When the Israelites cross the Red Sea through the power of God, and they make it to the other side, what do they do? They sing a song let sing a song of praise. When David recaptures the Ark of the Covenant and brings it back to Jerusalem, scripture tells us that he's dancing and singing through the streets of Jerusalem undignified, right? He's just going crazy and he's so excited, singing and dancing, right? Or when Paul and Silas are in prison and they, they, they're singing a song as these prison walls come crashing down around them. The book of Revelation is filled with songs as we see the people of God and the Lamb of God defeating these forces of evil, Right? Jesus himself, moments before he was going to be arrested, moments before uh, he would eventually, you know, be betrayed and arrested, and all of those things, he sings a song with his disciples. Why? Because even in that moment that looked like defeat. He knew, even as he stared death and defeat in the eyes, that the victory of God was at hand. Like that song we were just singing now, that the Lord was at hand. Even though it looked like defeat, it was certainly not. And so I want to look at that story in Exodus just for a couple moments together and see what it can tell us about what it means to worship in victory. So the book of Exodus begins, as you may know, with the Israelite people, the Hebrew people really, enslaved in Egypt. They've been there for a really long time People have been born into slavery, died into slavery. They've never known anything different. Massively sad. And so God sends a deliverer, a man named Moses, to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land and is going, you know, and he's going to rescue them from Pharaoh. So he goes to Pharaoh and he's like, let my people go, which is what the movies all say, right? And so he says that. Pharaoh's like, absolutely not. This free slave labor is very convenient to my economy. I will not do that. And so then God responds by sending 10 plagues over the people of Egypt. You all know this story. By sending 10 plagues, and after the 10th plague, Pharaoh relents and is like, fine, you can go. And so the Israelites just up and walk out of Egypt, free, guided by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. Now, to get to the uh, promised land, they were going to need to cross part of the desert, and they were going to need to cross part of the Red Sea. And so, but they're like, but God will lead us. So we're we're going to trust him. But it doesn't take long for Pharaoh to suddenly be like, dang, things are not getting done at the rate at which I want them to get done because I lost all of my labor force. Let's go get them back. And I'm mad about it right? And so he sends out a massive army to go and bring the Hebrew people back to Egypt to enslave them once again. And so that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 14. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, they're on the edge of the Red Sea waiting for the next move of God with the Egyptian army behind them. And it says this in Exodus 14, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, of course, and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Wow, how quickly do the Israelites forget what just happened to them? They just up and walked out of slavery. That doesn't happen. And as soon as they see this army approaching, which let's give them some grace, that'd probably scare me too, right? As soon as they see it, they're like, oh, hex to the no, you must have brought us out here to die. And they think that Moses or God is playing some sort of cruel, elaborate prank. And they're like, oh, the mass graves in Egypt weren't good enough for you, jerk. And they're mad, right? They're, they're very upset, and, and it's one of those things that you look at it and you're like, yeah, that, that stinks. Israelites like, why would you do that? But, but I wonder how often we do something similar, at least. Like, like how, how guilty are we of, of living in this kind of this drift toward defeat mindset? Like how quickly do you and do I just give up hope and even think that God must not want to be a part of this situation. Like, I'm like, Oh no, I won't say God abandoned me, but like, he's definitely not working in this situation right now. There's no possible way. Like how quickly do we get there from like one day? It's like a Tuesday and you're like, yes, God is good, baby. Come on. And then Wednesday morning, someone says something mean to you. And you're like, God has forsaken me. Right. It's so quick. It's so quick. Right. And I, I mean, I know I can do this and it's, it's almost like it's like defeat management, like we're just trying to get as long as possible between like how like between our moments of failure, between defeats. Or we just live every day thinking, man, I wonder if today's gonna be the day where I fail and everything falls apart. Or maybe worst of all, we, we genuinely think victory over this thing, this situation just is not gonna be possible in my life. I'm screwed. It's a bummer. And it, this is much of the story of Israel in the Bible, and, and it can be our story sometimes too. But man, I think one of the bravest things that you and I can do as Christians is simply risk to believe that victory in Jesus is possible. Right? It's a courageous thing to dare to imagine what that might look like. I think one of the first steps that we can do is just even beginning to imagine what victory might look like in our life. Because I know for some of us, we just think, man, this is just something I'm going to have to live with forever. And so you won't even let yourself imagine what life might look like without it. But I wonder if you did. I just, I wonder what God would do with that. If you just let your mind go there. And so Moses continues, or the Exodus continues. And it says this, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The thing that you're struggling with today, the thing that you're wrestling with today, the thing that you think is going to pound you into the dirt for the rest of your life, maybe you'll never see it again. I think we could at least try imagining it. And so Moses calls these despairing Israelites to remember what's true. He says, Don't be afraid, remain steady. The Lord will fight for you. God is about to move. Right? It's as if God is saying, What you fear, will soon be gone and only I will remain. I will fight for you. So sit back, watch what only I can do, and then take a big, deep breath. And then God says what I think really only God is allowed to say in a a situation like this. He's like, what are you waiting for? Let's go. Right, I don't think he's actually being like snappy, but I like it's like God's just like, hey, time's now. Like, like I, I get your crying out. And that's that's not bad. But like the time, like now is the time, like to move, right? Like he's like, hey, your slavery is behind you. My promises are ahead of you. And the thing that lays between is your decision to take a step of faith onto the water, through the water, right? That's your choice. And at first, this can seem contradictory, right? Be still, but move on. Trust me, but let's get going, right? And and, and I don't think God saying be still is like, don't move, right? I think maybe sometimes it's that, but I don't think that that's what God is saying here. See, when it comes to being still in God, the Hebrews are still called to move and still called to respond, but, but not respond with fear or violence like they maybe had a grown accustomed to under their Egyptian masters. No, the time is still to move, but now it is to move and respond in trust because God is going to do it. And so Moses puts his staff out over the sea and it parts left to right, allowing the Israelites to cross on dry ground. You've probably seen movies about it. And then once they're safely across, Moses puts his staff back out over the water and the waters crash over the entire Egyptian army that had been pursuing them. And the Israelites never see the again, just like God promised. Washed away. God kept his promise. You will never see them again. And they didn't. And what do the people of God do? They sing. They sing a song, part of which in Exodus 15 says this. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who's like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Victory belongs to the Lord. It's his power. It's his strength. It's his wonder that gives us the victory. It's his victory. We just get to be a part of it and say, thanks. This is great. And it's funny because we see a song very similar to this one at the opposite end of our Bibles in Revelation chapter 19. Right, so so in Revelation chapter nineteen, we see this this picture after having the, all of these evils of like these representative figures of evil of Revelation are have been defeated or are about to be defeated, right? Like the dragon and the four horsemen and the prostitute and the beasts and and all, like Satan. It's like it's just Revelation is just nuts, right? And, and in this moment, they, they, this, these. Forces of evil have been defeated and you see this picture and you kind of see it earlier in the, 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 the book too where the people of God are standing and singing. Despite everything that has gone on around them, they are standing and singing resiliently in the face of their defeated enemy. And so Revelation chapter 19 says this, "'After this, I heard what sounded like the roar "'of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, "'Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power "'belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. "'The 24 elders and the four living creatures "'fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, "'and they cried, "'Amen, hallelujah.'" Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. They knew that victory was theirs, that the Lord was at hand. So what does it mean to worship in victory? It means to worship. Because the reality is, is that when you and I worship, when we cook and we sing and we play and we write and we laugh and we, we run and we defend and we love and we listen, all of those things that constitute His worship because all of it can be worship. We're already worshiping in victory. We worship in a victory that was, a victory that is, and a victory that will be. Followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have all the reason in the world to be the most hope-filled, victory-fueled person on the planet. Because you and I know that because of Jesus, every single part of our individual stories and every single part of the story of the world is going to be redeemed through the victory of Jesus. It's gonna experience his victory, whether one day now or soon. Every defeat, every sadness, every loss will become untrue, will be remade, and the fabric of reality itself will be saturated with the victory of Jesus. And this is happening even now for you and for me. And you and I get to simply be a part of it. And that looks like a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I think maybe most, it looks like being still in the victory of Jesus, letting yourself rest there, taking a deep breath there, letting his victory fill your lungs and be the battery towards your bravery of loving people unconditionally, of being unstoppably kind and patient and hopeful, of imagining a world without evil and then working to bring that world about and sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing the good news of Jesus that you have found to be very true and very real. And so we sing together because you and I have a victory in Jesus. It's not some hypothetical one day, all of this will come together. No, it's, it's now. It is now, and it's not cocky or arrogant to, be, to, to say that. It's the most humble thing that you can say because it's not your victory. You can't do it on your own. You're not that good. You're not that strong. But Jesus gives this to us simply because he's gracious. And so we sing, not just because it's what we do, not just because it fills time on a Wednesday, not just because I like singing. No, we sing because singing has a comp- is, is found in victory. It's resilient. You and I get to sing. We get to sing because we know that victory is at hand, that it's going to be true in our lives, and it's already true in our lives. And that's why we sing. We we sing praises to God, yes. But we also sing to remind each other of what's true. Because when I hear you singing on my right and I hear you singing on my left, it forces me to reckon with, man, they're singing it. Maybe they've got a point. And so we remind each other of what's true. We remind each other of who God is. And we remind the evil that we find in ourselves, the evil that we find in the world, the evil that we find in the devil itself, that its days are numbered, that it's not going to be like this forever. And until then, we sing resiliently in its face the praises of a God who gives us victory. So, yes, worship is so much more than just singing. It is. It it can be everything that we do. But it is also singing. And so we sing knowing that, man, that these words that we sing are true now and that they're going to be even more true one day when Jesus comes back. And so we get a choice. I'm like, man, I want to sing this now so that I can sing it again with him later. I don't want to play games. Man, we play church games. We play these Jesus games. And it's just, it's, we, exhausting and a waste of time. And scripture, Jesus himself, the spirit in us invites us to sing a different kind of song, to sing a better song, one that lifts up the praises of Jesus, one that lifts up the victory of Jesus. Doesn't lift me up, doesn't lift other people up, it lifts up Jesus. And then that's the motivation that goes out to to help me to go out and do the things that Jesus calls me to do. And so we're gonna sing right now so Ben, you guys can, can come up and we're gonna, we're gonna sing right now like we do most Wednesdays but I, I hope that it's not lost on you what it is that we really do every time that we do this it's like this, this song of defiance of like no this thing is falling apart no my life is really difficult right now no today did suck but it's not the end Right, Jesus tells me a different end of the story. Right, The the last enemy to be defeated is death, but praise be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When death is defeated, everything else just bows to Jesus. And that's what we get to be a part of when we sing. And so we can sing confidently and we can sing loud. We should be loud singers. We get to do it. And I'm glad I get to do it with you all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of singing. Thank you for victory. Thank you for everybody in this room. God, help us to be defiant singers in the face of evil. Help us to sing loud. Help us to sing truthfully. Help us to always sing. Father, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.